to another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond has been pretty busy filming around London. Um, so I'm your fill-in host, James Page from MI6. And today I've got with me Mark O'Connell, Bill Koenig, David Lee, and Calvin Dyson. It's like the mega mix of classic podcast guests. Uh, <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, I'm uh, Bill Koenig. I'm with the uh, Spy Command, and uh, I'm uh, a little bit in mourning today about the apparent uh, demise of Mad Magazine. Nothing lasts forever, as they say. And I'm going to go there. I'm Mark O'Connell. I'm the bullet-catching author, writer, Bond fan, and glad to be back in the uh, the fold of MI6. I'm Calvin Dyson. I run the Calvin Dyson Bond Reviewer YouTube channel, where I talk about all things James Bond-related. And I am David Lee. I run the James Bond Dossier website, and I'm also author of the James... No, not the James Bond Dossier. I'm author of The Complete Guide to the Drinks of James Bond. And uh, uh, I, I don't know why I made that mistake, because I'm actually uh, drinking water tonight because of the heat. <laughs> My body is a temple, what can I say? A <laughs> um, little bit of business from um, the previous episode to get over the get over with first. Um, we did an episode last week, if, if you haven't listened to it, Defend the Indefensible. And um, Ben who's not with us this week, brought up the, you know, if you have any reasons why 007 shouldn't be black, they're not good reasons. And I don't think we came to consensus about just how bad social media would be mm. if they did that. Um, and thank you, Disney, for casting a black actress as Ariel in The Little Mermaid, because social media today is a dumpster fire of racist people <laughs> <laughs> with hashtag not my Ariel. So I think that proves our point that um, it would be very divisive um, for some corners of the internet, and it would be a pretty bleak place to be a genuine Bond fan for a while if they but went that and would did be, that. The divisiveness would be no reason not to do it. If it Correct. Was, if it Absolutely. was the right idea, yes. Absolutely. But being a Bond fan online would not be a pretty place for, a, for quite a while, I imagine. Well, um, and, and one of my stock lines about that, I didn't say it on the podcast, is when people ask me that, I say, get back to me when there's an actual vacancy as opposed to the hypothetical. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm. But even that is kind of considered controversial in some quarters. So, yeah. yeah. I hadn't thought about it until today, but, you know, I going by the arguments of these, um, I would call them people on the internet, um, Disney apparently only wrote fish people as being Caucasian. You know, who knew? But um, so the same. The same arguments, uh, I think that they, you know, some people make about Fleming only wrote him as a white man. I think it just goes to prove how silly it is in this day and age. Um, people get if people get upset about a cartoon character. Mm. I was about to say this is not Idris Elba's first go round on this because remember he was cast in the Thor movies as Heimdall, and there were people uh, saying, "Oh, Heimdall's white. He's a Norse god." And blah blah blah. It's like. They're gods. They're fiction. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always worth remembering as well, I think more so now than perhaps a year or even five years ago when it comes to the Idris question mark, is there are other actors who happen to be uh, black who can right. also do the, the gig. It's he's Not that anyone here is saying that, but there's this sort of Idris Elba or no one else. It's, you know, maybe that was a 70s thing. It was Richard Roundtree or no one else. Um, right. But, but yeah, um, if it happens, it'll happen with the right person. It probably will be someone that no one thought of as well. Exactly.
right, so first order of business. Um, Mark and Calvin, you went to a very special event um, recently. Um, yeah. And our friend yeah. Ben should have been, but he's in California now, and that's why he's not on this week, because I think he'd be like, his tears would be rolling down his cheeks and he missed it. He's, so He's checking out lay, the, the Drax facilities, lay, isn't he? I know. Right, right. Lay it on thick, guys. How great was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome yeah it was really something else it was just like everything i was hoping for like just like a Westworld version of like a james bond setting uh yeah it's just disappointing now that i know there is a reality out there that i would be rather <laughs> living in um but yeah no it, it was really awesome i don't know about uh mark like for me the only downside to it was that when I do like a video game, I do a hundred percent. Like that's just, I, I hope I'm a completist like that. And at one point I did get frustrated that it was kind of impossible to do a hundred percent in there because there's just so mm-hmm. much going mm-hmm. on. Um, and I guess you just kind of need to make peace with that before you go in. Uh, Cause there is so much to do when you're in there. And I know we really shouldn't go away giving you know, giving away too much, uh, too many details. No, I, I, um, you know, I went in a little bit, you know, I, I find these sort of things where you're shepherded and uh, nothing gets my slight heckles up more than the phrase immersive theatre. I said, uh-huh, because I've just been to loads of tacky sixth form productions where you just walk around the school grounds and that's, that's meant to be immersion. But that is not what this is about. This is not about sixth formers acting. This is not even about Amdram sort of wannabes trying to clutch onto their Bond um, dreams. I, I think it's quite a staggering production and achievement. Um, and I got a little... I mean, there's lots to lots to say. Well, there's not lots to say because, you know, rightfully so, we have to sort of keep <laughs> our uh, redaction lips sealed for a little while, and, and I get that. But I, when the film actually starts, and you sort of forget the film is going to be part of it as well, there's this sort of moment where the film and, it, and its imminence makes itself known. But I had a little bit of quiet pride when the film started, particularly when sort of Daniel Craig turns and shoots at the camera. And it was because I just suddenly realised the... the the non-Bond fan cultural stamp of importance that Casino Royale, Royale has gathered over the years. And I, there was a very, very mixed crowd. It was a very young crowd. It was, you know, these sort of, your Brixton hipsters were there. Yes, of course. Your, your secret cinema um, cool cats were definitely there. But I just, I, I think overall what I personally just enjoyed and it's just seared into my mind was just how the, it was an experience and an atmosphere. Um, it, it was slight, I, in my review, I've just posted on my site, I've called it Burkane for Bond fans. And, and Burkane is this industrial techno club in an ex-power station in Berlin that you could notoriously never get into. Um, I have once, I don't know why or how. And I felt it had that sort of, it was like being in an Elliot Carver media party as well. And the, I think it was the atmosphere. I called it an atmosaganza because it was just a very cleverly created and curated atmosphere. And I'm, I'm sure Calvin would agree with that. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. The attention to detail was, I mean, like, not only to Casino Royale, but to all the Mm. series, really. Um, Just nice little visual Mm. Easter eggs in there. Like, obviously, it catered very well to diehard fans like us, but it was working as well for, I bumped into a few, you know, civilians outside in the smoking area and just sort of, like, started chatting about how they were finding it, and they were just kind of bowled over, and then... 
we got onto the subject of Bond and they didn't really know much about Ooh. the series and they could say, oh, Sean Connery, Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan, but they could name like five mm. of the films mm. maybe. Uh, so I think your point about the place in the pop culture that Casino mm. Royale has outside of the Bond fandom being something else mm. is is very mm. true, the, There actually. was a massive um, reaction when the, when the title kicks in um, and also things are going mm. on to to hype that up and it, you know it's quite a circus i i some there's a little few moments i must admit and i won't say where or when where it felt a little bit universal jaws right but only slightly because it was it had a lot more class and a lot more thoughts than that and um, some of the punters going some of the guests are definitely not diehard bond fans they just know that the, they like the one with the car but it doesn't matter because the production knows what Casino Royale is. And I, I was, I mean, there's different mm. zones and rooms. I don't want to say what any of them are as much as I want to say how much I loved particularly one of them, um, but I won't go there. And I was, I remember looking in one room and it was spent, it was a, it was a domestic setting. And I remember just looking at, they've got, they've sourced genuine pasta from the, the neck of the woods we're meant to be in. I, I, you know, just uncooked pasta on a shelf. And I actually just found that fascinating that they, that sort of, mini attention to detail and it has been a a definite co-production with eon and barbara broccoli michael wilson and uh, their various creatives there and you you get that sense of production that you know eon is famous for so what do you think the breakdown was guys of people who maybe hadn't even seen casino rail um who were going to it and and it, discovering it for the first time Oh, I don't know about discovering it for the first time. Certainly everyone that I spoke to, I mean, we were there as part of like a larger uh, Bond group, uh, diehard Bond group. Um, But yeah, uh, everyone that I spoke to who wasn't a diehard Bond fan had seen Mm. the film before, but, you know, maybe, you know, 13 years ago when it was out at the cinema. So, you know, they'd kind of forgotten Mm. most about it. Um, which was mm. interesting. And and people were still like, you have the ability when the film is on to still kind of like wander around, go to the bar, have food if you want. Um, there are still certain areas that are open. And some people were uh, kind of just doing that. I mean, I, I don't think it's the kind of environment where you maybe should see it for the first time. Like, I think you should definitely watch the film before you go and you'll get more out of the pre-film experience, I mm. think, if you know... You know, mm, if it's fresh mm. in your mind, um, because even when the film is going on, it's kind of got a yes. party atmosphere. I mean, people are sitting and watching the film, of course, but people are chatting and cheering and clapping and, mm. and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's not like, a, you know, a quiet cinema experience, really. Yeah, it's but, more than that. But the, where, I mean, that was one of the there was so much that was sort of revealed at exactly the moment the creative directors wanted it to be revealed. I remember thinking, where's the film actually going to play? And that, that is sort of revealed. Mm. There's a sort of double trick, a double unveiling that I, I sort of missed a little bit of. So I missed the, uh, the sort of logic of it, but I, the, the, you're right. It is a little bit of a carnival atmosphere. I wouldn't say it's chatty. It's, it's probably a bit more ordered than watching Greece in the Glastonbury Gardens and s- sipping warm pins, I'm sure. <laughs> but the, the room it's yeah. in, the actual screening space, is so vast. The sound system's not bad. And it, it doesn't matter that people are chatting and going back and forth. It was a very interesting use of space um, from, from almost mm. the get-go as well. Yeah. What were, yeah the, um, what were the moments in the film, do you think, that got 
because it was a mixed audience, right, of Bond fans and and mm. secret cinema fans and and probably the plus ones, right? Um, what were the moments that really you think got the crowd um, most engaged? I it's a bit like the premiere of Skyfall. Um, when that DB five uh, appears on screen, there is genuine affection for it. People people respond. They lose their shit about it, like like it's Herbie <laughs> just come on screen or something, um, and, and rightly so. It's just a, you know, everyone goes. Ooh and ah, when the um, the DB5 comes out. So I remember noticing that particularly, um, and also just how pounding and brilliant the titles are. I, I was sort of pointing and banging along mm. with my hands in the air to the music. And this is a film I have seen plenty of times. <laughs> I thought the card scenes were getting some pretty uh, good reactions as well. Actually, like you know, lots of gasps and like oh no, like being shouted out and um, some interactivity, which. It was quite interesting because it is like small moments of like, you know, people just like looking at cards and yet they have such a response. Uh, I was also really hammered through most of the film. I'd had like five or six martinis okay, it wasn't at that just point. Me. It wasn't just me. So, yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a little bit like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I was kind of a bit lost in the film at that yeah. point, let's uh, say. One thing, and again, uh, I don't want to say yeah. details, but... This isn't like going to, you know, some gig in Brixton or some cheap Isle of Wight festival that's not cheap, ultimately. There was a real – there's different bars. I won't say how – you know, who owns them and what brands are there, but they're, they're slightly obvious. But there was a real sort of sense of curation and class about the the, uh, the catering as well. And it wasn't overpriced. It was like £5 for a glass of wine, £8 for a, a decent – like a gin and tonic made from the – made from the, the people that you buy your gin and tonics from at the pub. You know, so I, I, I was quite impressed by how it wasn't some money-grabbing ploy as well. Mm. Oh, I thought the drinks were quite reasonably priced, actually. Uh, they had, like, a cocktails list, and uh, I did ask, like, do you do a Vespa? And the waiter was sort of like, oh, I don't know that drink, sir. And I was kind of like, oh, if I knew, if I was thinking of you, David, actually, because I was like, oh, God, can I remember, like, what he says in the film? And it completely went out of my mind, the the, the uh, recipe yeah. for the drink. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty off for the bar staff there, then. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, they're part. But I, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to like. Maybe if I said it, it would yeah. unlock See, this maybe, drink. Maybe they so, were. Maybe uh, they were in character because that drink hadn't been named at that point. Well, that's it. So, and then I can uh, remember the thing. But I'm going back again in August, so I'm going to try it then. Yeah, I've already thought I'd like to go back. I I didn't think I would, but as Calvin says, there's so much to sort of take in, and and the film does start way before you're ready. You know, you and that's mm. that's something. If you're going and you've been told a particular time, you make sure you get there on that time. To get there half an hour before that time, or aim for that, because you do need a real amount of time just to yes use the buzzword immerse yourself in it and you don't have Mm. to there are sort of little tasks that can come your way you can pick them up and run with them little sort of spy battens of uh, things you you can do but you also don't have to as well i i was actually quite keen to just maybe take a step back and take it in although i everyone came kept coming up to me thinking i was one of the cast members and i had all these sort of slightly unbond familiar uh housewives and house husbands going are you mr 
Mr. Brown with the green jacket. And I went, no, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I can't help you out here. But it, it's sort of a good level of though. Everyone's slightly aware of the tasks and the game and the performance at hand. Um, so it, it creates quite a nice atmosphere. It's not a, you know, it's not a cynical atmosphere, not at all. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I also wasted a good deal of time by walking up to people who I thought were, you know, in on it, actors, um, and then they weren't. Mm. And then after like about five minutes of chat, and oh, this is pointless. It was an amazing um, way to pull. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, mm. hot guys, hot girls, a lot of people had put some effort in, and it's not just all top man tuxedos and Dorothy Perkins ball gowns. It's, there was some real thought. And if you're going to go, don't overthink. It doesn't have to be a tuxedo, you because there's different categories of uh, characters that you can sort of step up to and i would um uh, yeah have a think on that yeah well, well one of the one of the criticisms i've seen about the secret cinema presentations and i presumably it applies to casino royale too is that uh, people who go need to spend some money on their costumes and things like business no. cards stuff like that no. no no that is something that the emails and the, the pre-match stuff uh, sort of fires into inbox but and yes it's fun to create a character name there's options you know there's drop down options you don't have to literally sit and try and get it perfectly right because there's only so many variants and options you can have and yes they do say that you um you know wear a piece of clothing or a color that's linked to the particular category you might be in this is me trying to not give anything away but you'd also don't have to do that you you, you don't um, although i they do have a really snazzy mission kit which i i'm been quite obsessed by this week with little uh, casino royale trinkets and things and i think that was possibly a good thing uh, we were kindly given them um but they're not trying to it's they're not trying to sort of fleece you it's not like disneyland by the mickey hat you don't have to to get into that um, and the business card thing do it if you want but if you don't it's fine too yeah i mean I, I just like printed some off myself you know with a piece of card at home i didn't go to the effort of getting them professionally done or anything um and then it's kind of like you know what you make the you know the story of if anyone questions you as to why your business cards aren't professionally done and you can you know uh, weasel your way out of it, mm. then it's uh, yeah part mm. of the game. And the, one of the things I'm gonna again be careful here, but the whole thing is populated by elements from Casino Royale that you will recognise, and there's 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 human beings from Casino Royale that you will recognise, but they don't do ah oh, look look such and such is here aha you know they don't do that. And there was one moment in one zone where. I was loose, me and a couple of others were loosely told to look for someone clutching a certain something. And we sort of got chatting and forgot about that. And then there was a big security panic, all, all staged and all faked. And then I just saw this guy clutching the something. I'm like, oh, and I wasn't meant to see him. It was literally in the corner of my eye. He was leaving a room. And I, it's, it's very clever. You, you almost do want to stand back on the sides and just watch watch it ticking over um mm. and again it's about that atmosphere they've created yeah thanks mark i've got to call dorothy perkins now and cancel their their sponsorship of the next podcast but, um... <laughs> dorothy perkins ball gowns <laughs> are right. acceptable so um mark's out of 10 guys Ooh. um 
it would have to be a 10. I was completely bowled over by the experience. It was, um, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be going again. Mm. Uh, can't wait. I, I want to give it a 009, but I, I'm going to say 10 just because of the sheer celebration of Bond and one particular movie as well, and this whole Daniel Craig era. I thought it was a massive tribute to where Bond is right now as well, um, mm. but in a very contemporary, different way. You know, we, we all moan about not having enough Bond films, but... Uh, when that one comes along like this, um, and you, you also don't have to pay the VIP prices because the experience is fairly similar. So don't don't think you're losing out if you can't uh, stretch for the higher prices. But I would say t- a, a ten out of ten, and give it some thought and go. Why not give it a double O eleven since there was one in the books? Mm. I prefer double O nine. No, well, no, double O ten. So, Mark, would it be fair to say your only criticism would be you'd want a little bit more time before the film starts? Yes, yes. Um, just to take it in, because suddenly things indicate the film is about to start, and we were like, "No, I haven't seen this bit." And I actually didn't see how they turned a particular space into where we were watching the film, because they do mm. that as well. And I'd, I'd like to maybe go back and just, I'd, I'd, yeah, I just want to sort of go by, go, go behind the scenes and just see how they did a lot of it, because it was, a, I mean, the. Pre- the sense of re- rehearsal and organization is ridiculous because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of actors in character doing different things and improvising as well. It's it's a hard job to do for like however many hours for nearly five months now. So, so top marks to the cast as well and the directors. Um, did you guys afterwards chat about, well, um, if they were to do another one, what would be a good yeah. film yeah. to do a secret cinema for? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know if there is another one that would have the resonance with the you know civilian public as much as this one. Maybe Skyfall, I guess. Um, if you want to appeal to you, you know Brixton hipsters, as Mark put it. Uh, I mean. Personally, a, a Roger Moore one, you know, Spy Who Loved Me, You Only Live Twice, something where they can really embrace mm. a Ken Adam sort of design mm-hmm. would be, you know, so fantastic. Mm. But um, yeah, again, I just don't know if those older films hold, um, yeah, as much cachet with the general public. They did look at different films. I think ultimately it was Fabian Regal, the guy that created Secret Cinema in 07. It was his call or his notion. But they did look at different ones. And they did... I, believe there was some early notion of recreating a volcano set which would have just you know i i would have lost my shit if that had happened um <laughs> mm. and uh, calvin and i and a few others were fortunate enough to spend lunchtime on the same day with a couple of the creative directors and we sort of threw some questions with them and i'm sure the results of that and thoughts would come out eventually um and i joked i know what one film they won't do because i joked about octopus in one of them was, yeah, why not? And the other one said, no, it'll never be off to the sea, which I, <laughs> I tried to suck, suck up well. Um, but, you know, Secret Cinema is going through great changes in terms of its business plan. And I think there's, I don't want to say too much, but there's thoughts of maybe Secret Cinema stretching its wings outside of London. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think others yeah. others might get to experience the, the magic of Secret Cinema. <laughs> I'm reminded, Mark and Calvin, when you mentioned you only live twice would be great for the set. That um, you know, Universal Studios years ago, that's right, um, had concepts of a James Bond stunt show. I think it was for the theme park, and it was yeah. modelled on a cross between You Only Live Twice and The Spy Who mm. Loved Me. Yeah, mm. and the designs were done by oh Ralph McQuarrie. He did. You can find them yeah. online. Um, 
some early, yep. and they're, they're quite cool. They're like, oh my god, that why didn't that happen? Um, but mm. I don't think Secret Cinema's, you know, Bond with Bond is over yet. Um, uh, I don't think they'll be doing it perhaps next year, but they will be continuing their relationship with Bond because I think it's been a very good one. And the guys that we spent some time with over lunch, they were really responsive and they really appre- appreciated Eon's involvement. And there was this fear that it would be a bit, you know, uh, the big thumb of authority would be pressing on their shoulders, but it wasn't. They were just lightly steered into a different thinking and a better thinking. And I think they fully appreciated the collaboration. I was thinking about, I know it's not, and, and it wouldn't be a podcast without mentioning it, but in terms of like ways you could build an experience around it for six of Die Another Day would be actually a pretty cool one with <laughs> Cuba and the Ice Palace. I mean, imagine watching it inside an Ice Palace. That would be pretty sweet. Yep. But, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a yeah. Can't imagine them selling those out. Well, I wanted I wanted Octopussy because we can have Brick Lane food. We can we can go there. We can have a hot air balloon come in at one point. But that, that idea <laughs> has been thrown out the uh, the Udapur Lake, sadly. Done another day, they'd save some money because they wouldn't actually need an Aston Martin for the for the um, uh, invisible invisible Aston Martin, would they? Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. That's right. oh, look at the invisible. Yeah, it could be like some. Yeah, sort of Pavlov dog so, so thing. That, that would, so that would be the budget one. Mm, mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be quite hilarious. You see all these terrible people doing like winter wonderlands off the A3 in Woking or something. So if some like a really right. terrible secret cinema experience. I actually, I think there's, there's there's a comedy sketch there or something, or probably series <laughs> about come to my James Bond world in my back shed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so highly recommended. Thumb, double thumbs yeah, up. Absolutely. Both of you. Quite right. Yeah. Super. So I wish I was James Bond just for the day. Kissing all the girls, blow the bad guys away. And I wish I was James Bond just for the day. Kissing all the girls, blow the bad guys away. So um, tagging along the back of. Um, Secret Cinema. Um, does anybody want to talk about like um, the state of James Bond fandom in 2019 versus when you f- you know through the years that you first became a fan? Because I think a lot has changed. I sometimes feel at the moment that I want to just go in one of those sort of nuclear showers where they scrub you down with a, a hose. Um, yeah, this is. <laughs> get, I don't know what it is. I think I don't remember this impatience and anger around the Bond film that seems to be bouncing around some of the social networks. But Well, let me add something. It's I, I think it's not uh, unique to Bond. In the past 15 mm. to 20 years, I think there has been this notion that fans feel more possessive of it. Maybe they've always felt that way, but social media has like enabled that. That people... Mm-hmm. I mean, you have all this thing now with people trolling movies... And it gets really toxic in certain aspects. Um, Marvel experienced this with the Captain Marvel movie because there were a lot of trolls who apparently did not like the idea of a woman lead character, I guess. Um, anyway, I, I, th- I think in general, social media enables that those sorts of feelings. And so people kind of jump in more. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that's a factor. I'm not saying it's the only factor. Mm. I think the ownership fandom has. We all have a little ownership. And when that title didn't come out, I think everyone felt suddenly it was put at further distance from their grasp of ownership, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, that's that's my add on that. 
David, how have you seen, because you've been doing this about as long as me online, how, how have you seen things change on people, uh, people, how you interact? Well, I'd say, I'd say there's, there's two classes of kind of Bond fan online. There's the ones that consume Bond online, and then there's ones that, there's the few of us, the minority that actually put stuff out. Yeah, the, the for me, uh, I, I don't know anymore because I, I, I really gave up on... Uh, all the forums, and uh, I basically, I've abandoned Facebook. So, um, I think my my ex, my interaction with other Bond fan, fans is quite different now because it, it's primarily now on Twitter and to a certain extent on, on Instagram. And um, you know, if if I think back to the to the old days, you know, people people were full of questions, and you know, I used to used to answer those questions and uh mm. I, I don't get that anymore uh it, everything everything's much much faster people want uh information more rapidly and they want they want uh, they want it in in shorter chunks as well so uh it, I, I think it, it's generally the, the way that the world's moved is that that people are, are less less patient now and they want things now 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 that then people aren't prepared to wait which uh perhaps explains uh the the um uh people feeling a bit pissed off at, at the title not being announced yeah i i'd say to, to yeah to about the speed of um speed of consumption i know that if on the website we put out a long well-researched thought out article it will get a fraction of interaction compared to, you know, a tabloid-esque four paragraphs, three big pictures. Yeah. And, and okay. that will get that will get massive engagement and shares. And it's kind of depressing <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. That's, um, you know, well, what, if you if you look at the the Daily Express, their their headlines are are just kind of laughable laughable in the way they're written for for clickbait because it's you won't guess what uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig has done now, and you know, and you read and and so and, and but then you you read the article and there's nothing in it. It's <laughs> it's just uh, it's just fluff, and uh, you, you know maybe with a, a, a new. Yeah, new photo or something like that, and so you know the the, the tabloids are getting away with with uh, creating stories out of absolutely nothing, which which essentially is what they've always done. But I, I think they they they've they've refined it to a, a new art. So I, I mean, this isn't talking about. Well, I, I'd say art, art is not maybe the best word to choose. <laughs> I've got to say, along those lines, there was a recent one, and I'm sorry, I forget which tabloid it was. It might have been The Sun, but it might have been this one. And it was like they apparently got a quote from a, someone described as a spokeswoman. They didn't put the name attached to it. Oh, we're still going to meet the release date. Okay, they're going to meet the release date. And then the rest of the story yeah. is this rehash of all these things we've all read about. It's like, and like so there's like one sixteenth that's new and 15 sixteenths. That's all. Um, what what depresses me most is when the tabloids will run something we know is patently false, <laughs> right? And it gets uh, all the other papers cover it. All the other, you know, social media just regurgitates it. Everybody's talking about it. We, and by we, I mean like this, the guys that have been doing it a long time. Different websites, different social media platforms we'll put something out that's factually accurate and we have sources because we know the guys that work on the production and the response is how do you know that you're full of shit 
You don't name your sources. Like, okay, so you were willing to swallow the Suns story that had right. absolutely Swallowed no names all. in it or dates, yeah. but we put something we put something out that we know is true, and we have a hundred percent track record on reporting, and you know, we're untrustworthy and full of shit. And uh, you just got to hold your hands up sometimes. But the, the, and the, the number of fans who, who react to the title of something without actually reading the, the, the content is uh, is unbelievable. It's just everything's based on headlines now. But anyway, James, just to, I just want to say I feel your pain because there's sometimes I'll do a, a, a somewhat long article, particularly if I've gotten a copy of an old script that has some interesting, you know, uh, information about about the movie and the way the movie could have been and you like go through it and it's you know you go through it and you're trying to be thorough and you get some readership and then you know but it doesn't get near as much readership as much more salacious something where it's like well you've got this tabloid saying this although this tabloid has this at best mixed record um yeah it's it's just the way it is i guess yeah i remember when we started out in um 98 <laughs> um 21 years ago um covering you know the, the pre-production of the world is not enough and at that time the only place you well there's two places you could get news about james bond from one was one of two print magazines which came out sporadically um who you know they're both actually not really with us anymore um or news groups which for most people listening, they'll be like, what's news groups? Well, you know, you had to go to news group reader and alt.fan.james-bond, right? I don't know if you remember that stuff. And that was really the only place where Bond fans could, could do it. That, uh, that was the internet. That was the internet. That's right. Um, and, you know, he'll remain nameless, but one grumpy editor of one of those two publications um, put up a real fight against the internet. Like this is not the way um, fandom should be, and I control the news, um, which was um, you know fighting against the tides, right? Um, and ironically, you know, ten years into covering the news every day on the website, we launched a magazine, which was kind of backwards um, in retrospect. Um, but I think that that was to me that was the point where fandom changed when websites covered the Bond productions if not daily, mm-hmm. weekly, around 99, when The World Is Not Enough was coming out. And I think that was the tipping point where the information was no longer channeled through curation of people who knew their stuff for years. And it became this wild west of 16 to 25-year-olds running websites that didn't have any background in the franchise or knew how to tell the difference between a rumor and a real story. Um, and I think that was the beginning and the end of knowing whether information was accurate or not. Mm. But and that's you know, and then of course we've got the social gener- social media age, right? In the last ten years, where Facebook and Twitter have become the places where fans discuss which stuff, is, which is great because um, I do think it's. I, I, I'm one of these people that thinks that social media has changed the world for the you know for the good. I can talk to friends in America, Australia, and, and you guys right now, and that that's that's a real great development of social media and, and technology. But I think a lot of people, I don't even know if they know they're doing it, but they mistaken perhaps. Being able to follow Mark Hamill or Naomi Harris or uh, I don't know James Gunn on on Twitter, they they sort of mistaken that for having like a, 
a seat at the boardroom um, and if you can get a tweet out that's the same as sort of writing a script and having some decent creative thought that would help a, a franchise um, so yeah I, that's where it can slightly fall apart I, I mean I remember those early days of online bondness um, CBN was my hangout back in the day and I and I don't I could be wrong I remember it got quite political and I, I under my aliases would get a little embarrassed if I looked at it now I go oh my god I really went for that that guy or that opinion there but I remember it being a lot more celebratory of the films Polit- politics and other stuff would get a bit heated as it still can now not as divisive as it is now but there was still a, a fever and a, and a, a buoyancy about discuss- discussing the films that I just I'm not seeing with you know Star Wars and Bond at the moment it's it's Possibly it's a spring off of, you know, where we are politically in the world, this divisiveness. Everything has to be so sort of polar. It, or, you know, it's, it's either or. You can't, you're, you're vilified if you're somewhere in the middle. James, just to mm-hmm. kind of second your point, this happened about a year ago. There was a site, it was a fan site, and they said that there was this great chance that uh, Christopher Nolan was going to direct Bond 25. And then, of course, he wasn't directing Bond 25. And then later they had some other scoop and I engaged with them on social media. And I said, weren't you the guys who said Christopher Nolan was going to direct Bond 25? And they replied, well, we weren't wrong. Our sources were wrong. Well, and then I tried to explain to them. It's like, yes, but you're the ones who gave voice to those wrong sources. And like, you know, when you do that, you have to take responsibility. And they disagreed with me entirely. It's like, okay, I, I threw up my hands at that point. Okay, I, you don't accept their responsibility. It's like, okay. Um, yeah, absolutely, Bill. And um, one of the journal. Now, I'm not going to say the word J word. One of the people that type for the yes. Daily Express. <laughs> um, I had an issue with the story that they ran um, because they literally took a fan tweet and built a story around it. And I was like, um, guys, we know this isn't true. I forget what it was, but we knew it wasn't true. It wasn't going to happen. And it never did. Um, I'm like, why don't you like contact some people, get some, talk to some people that have been around the franchise maybe for a few years. If you, even if you can't get a direct source, at least get a, a get a, an expert, a, a, you know, a qualified opinion on this rather than just building this fabricated story around this tweet. And the response was, well, that's not how the news works anymore. We just have to be first. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh God. Yes. I believe it. And that, that was all in, that was all in DMS on Twitter. Right, no, so no, like, that's you know, fine. it's I, like, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not cool to like I, name I and shame the, the guy's still, that, the guy's still at an it. And, attitude out there. It, 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 it almost doesn't matter who said it. It's, that's a feeling that's out there. I've experienced it. I've dealt with people who say that it's just, uh, it's, it's like we're living in the Daily Planet from Superman 4 and Sam Wanamaker's. I don't care what the, the details are. I just want the headline. I, I just want to be the, <laughs> the first to report that, you know, yeah. It's the Milton Keynesification yeah. of the world. That's what it is. That's, that's what the Superman fans. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to get down this cul-de-sac of just the tabloid press being no. bad. But, um, but there is a... Th- yeah, there is a thing where they're taking social like tweets. I I tweeted about Shane Rimmer passing, and I, then I went to my parents in mm-hmm. rural Hereford and didn't really plug in online for a couple of days. And then like someone said, you, your tweet was was read out 
on the BBC uh, radio news that night. And, and that's great. That's nice. But maybe they could have talked to his manager or one of his co-stars or a right. director or someone from a British right. studio that recognized him throughout. I, I thought that's lovely. Great. That they, but I'm like, why, why are we using tweets? And they're, they're, help, they're so vulnerable as well. Tweets, you know, we're seeing it with certain presidents that truth, let's not let the truth get in the way of a good tweet. But it's wrong when um, journalists are picking up on it. And we see it with, you know, with uh, Bond and Bond 25. But it makes you think, God, where else are we getting these idiotic tweets and information from? Yeah. And I still think we could have a really good laugh. Um, at their expense, if we all coordinated yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> some some completely bogus story, just to see how far it goes. Yeah, we, we should do it sometime. <laughs> which you know, I actually a couple of people pulled me up on about when we released the Reason to Die title news. It was like, oh, this is what you guys talked about doing. I was like, yeah, we did, but this is actually the real thing. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I think we would have come up with a better one. For a fake title. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, not so much just about the journalism, but just in how fandoms change. I mean, Mark, you mentioned you know, social media is a force for good if you use it for such, right? Um, prior to that, it was conventions, right? It was pretty much the only time fans got together uh, and, and met each other or knew that there were other people out there with similar interests. Mm. And Bond's never been very good at them. And I, I understand why... Um, and then, Bill, you were one of the ones who were I was right in the too. States. Um, but what happened was you had that 89 to 95 hiatus. And so when they were gearing up for GoldenEye, they hired one of the companies that did Star Trek fan conventions to organize it. And so they had one in Los Angeles in the fall of 94 and then another one in uh, the fall of 95 in New York City. That was a few days before the U.S. premiere. Um, and then it was like, once it was, you know, once the series is gone again, well, we don't need to deal with this anymore. Um, like the one in Los Angeles, they had Peter Hunt. I think they had John Steers. They were both there. They both had presentations. Lazenby was there as well. Originally, Roger Moore was to be there. He was going to give Cubby Broccoli an award. And then Cubby's health precluded that. So Roger Moore canceled out. I had booked when it was going to be two bonds, but it's like, oh, you still got one bond. I'm, I'm still going. Um, so they were great, and it's kind of too bad they don't do more of that. They don't have to be every year, but you know, they, for whatever reason, they don't like to go that route. No. Um, and in 2005, we co-organized um, the 40th anniversary of Thunderball in London. We had a all-day program and then a, a, a 35 mil screening uh, to I finish actually off. went we had, to that yes um, <laughs> that was the we first time we Gar met <laughs> yes that's right and you know like Charlie Higson and David Arnold and all these folks came out along with um, Don Black and then we had surviving cast members and stunt crews and all sorts of special guests came out and did talks on the stage and everything um, and I remember at the end talking to one guy you know and he said I've never met you guys you know, I, I only heard about it through somebody else. I don't even look at your website. You've got to do more of these. You've hmm. got to do more of these because there's nothing. To which I like, you have no idea how <laughs> much work <laughs> went into this one event. Um, and, and even, you know, Brass from Eon were there too. Um, although it wasn't officially sanctioned. Um, they, they certainly helped out with some arrangements uh, like the print, for instance. Um, but, yeah. It, I wouldn't, if anybody's thinking about putting one together, power to you because 
after we finished that one, <laughs> we just looked at each other like maybe for a 50th anniversary of the movie, we'd do something yeah. similar again. Um, it's an enormous amount of work. It wasn't like anybody made any money yeah. off it either. I mean, it was all, it was all what, to cover what, us. No, I, I, I was just going to say I, it was a really great event. I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it, it was also the first time I, I'd seen um, Thunderbolt on the big screen, but uh, all, the, all the stuff organized before the screening was fantastic. Really, really good. But in terms of like fan interaction at those kinds of things, was it like, I mean, I'm guessing that no like arguments broke out. It wasn't like Twitter in real life, anything <laughs> no, like that. I can imagine no. people were quite cordial. And, yeah, that uh, would be so good. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 they were. But, but um, just to mention the 94 and 95 ones I did, there, were, there was a chance for fans to ask questions of these people. And I told this on a previous hmm. podcast. So at the 95 convention in new york they had to change up the schedule so they brought up michael wilson they brought up bruce bruce fairstein uh we're going to just take some questions from people and then that's when i got in line and i asked wilson the question because um there had been the one author who is given you know he's he's out on the academic circle saying i'm going to write the next james bond movie meaning the what would eventually be tomorrow never dies so i asked him about that and Fairstein, like, before Wilson could answer, Fairstein looked at Wilson and said, he is? Like, very incredibly. <laughs> and then Wilson said, well, you know, he's one of the guys we've talked to, and he could write a James Bond movie one day. And, of course, he, it ended up not being the case. But um, that was just as the Internet was starting to take hold. And, you know, I, I guess people didn't realize that <laughs> this news gets out eventually. And mm. I think to answer your question, Calvin, about the Thunderbolt event, I think our audience definitely skewed older. Hmm. Um, I mean, I yeah. In, in retrospect, I was one of the younger people there <laughs> I think at the time, um, but it was definitely um, the, the, a lot of the Connery generation were out in force okay. for that film, um, for that event, and um, and also, you know, it was a lot of people connected to the people that worked on the film came out. Hmm. either tangentially or not so you know but i i don't think ever have we had so many people on the original you know the 60s era in the same room hmm. working together and a lot of them have sadly passed away since we did that but um yeah the more i think about it the more i think yeah we should do one of those again <laughs> we should come up with something again Secret Cinema stole our thunder. You can't keep up that. <laughs> Maybe you could, you could have a convention at Secret Cinema. Right? You could, you, it could be like Tosca. You, no one actually knows that everyone else is there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, come April, I'm sure we'll think of something to do. Um, so, Bill, you had some, some bad news to break. Mad Magazine is about to bid adieu. Um, they they apparently well at least they apparently like emailed all their contributors as we record this the day before a holiday and you know without an announcement Classy. and of course everybody like went to social media to, to let everyone know what's going on and today as we record this one of their main artists for the past 20 years wrote a very extensive article on his website and he laid it all out and so anyway mad magazine is going to put out two more issues with new content, and then that's it. And they will run 
reprints for however long their um, various subscription commitments are, but they're not going to take any new subscriptions. So apparently once that runs out, then, you know, it'll be over. Um, the company owns all the content they've got, the work, you know, the artists and the writers, you know, did it all as what was called work for hire. So the company owns all that stuff. And that's all very valuable because you've had all these great cartoonists for almost 70 years doing all this stuff. So I'm sure you'll see um, collect, you know, various reprints of collected items by artists or subject or whatever. But yeah, Mad's about to wave goodbye. And the reason I wanted to mention it on the podcast, they do have an interesting history you know, with Bond. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this short. So like one of the first ones they did, and I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, they had this parody of what a, a James Bond stage musical would be like. Hmm. All the songs were sung to the tune of songs from Oklahoma. <laughs> the plot was that an organization called Ice Cube was was dragging the dragging Great Britain to the North Pole, and uh, so they call him James Bomb in the uh, in the parody. So Bomb's assigned to the case, and he tracks down the head of Ice Cube, and the high, head of Ice Cube is revealed to be Mike Hammer, who's pissed off at James Bomb for taking all his book sales, and so he's getting his revenge. And my and and my camera's drawn to resemble Mickey Spillane, but Bond James Bomb you know uh, prevails, uh, and so then they do a big musical number at the very you know at the very end where it's like you know it's like oh oh seven sung to the tune of Oklahoma, um, you know they didn't do a real a proper film parody and act, ironically until about nineteen four and they did the first eight in like one one swoop. So like in the Dr. No parody, J James Bomb is ordering a, a fresca. Well, fresca? Well, you know, in this first movie, the budget's not so much, so we, <laughs> we can't have actual champagne. Um, I'm trying to think some of the other gags. I mean, it was just various gags, but, you know, it was drawn by Mort Drucker, who was like this premier drawer of caricatures at, for Mad for, for many decades. Um, and then after that, they did you know, film, various film parodies. For the parody of Four Year Only Live Twice, they have Roger Moore laying martinis on the grave of uh, Sean Connery or the Sean Connery film Bond. Um, and then the last panel is, uh, he refers to all his stunt doubles and it's, you know, drawings of various Roger Moores with like the Roger Moore with, the, you know, then there's the, the stunt double Roger Moores, you know, got bandages, you know, casts and stuff. There's the, sex double Roger Moore. It's like a guy in the bathroom looks, looks pretty tired. Um, but anyway, yeah, they, they, they had, they went to bond many times for inspiration, but you know, obviously did a lot more than bond, but yeah, mad is, uh, mad is not long for this world. Apparently. Another long-term print publication go yeah. bye-bye. Um, unfortunately, while the tabloids still stick around somehow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, taking a break so this is um paul's genius idea again of doing bond 25 at the end so if you don't want any spoilers and if you've not been online watched a tv read newspaper or magazine or talked to anybody in the last three weeks press pause
for everybody else continuing. Um, David, Mark, and Calvin, this is the first time we've been on since the Jamaica video mm. dropped. Yep, that's, mm. that's um, true. Uh, me and Bill talked about it with Ben and Paul on the previous episode, but what were your guys' thoughts on that one minute of um, deliciousness? I was very excited. Um, it, it was uh, nice to see the film looking so contemporary uh just like the lighting um the 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 sets and the costumes it was uh very it was nice to see color never really occurred to me how kind of muted the color palette of the sam mendes films um has been really um and i say that as a big fan of skyfall but uh the sam mendes films had a bit of a stuffiness to them, I think. And I'm kind of excited by what they showed so far that it looks like this is going to be a m- bit more cooler, uh, more contemporary, more colourful. Um, and I'm very excited mm. about that. I, I thought it was an amazing little minute. I've probably watched it way too many times and I keep enthusiastically going around Northern Bond fans' houses going, you have to watch this. So that, to be fair, everyone's gone, okay... <laughs> That's fresh. That's that's different. I like to echo what Calvin said. It does. It has a, a gorgeous contemporary feel. I'm trying not to be an overexcited fan about any sort of glimpse of leg or arm that this Bond film's teasing us with at the moment. But I, I think it's got a real visual zeal to it. It looks. Uh, it's there's a youthful vibe and a potential youthful DNA about it. Um, I loved all that sort of lo- sense of local colour and that bloody cool looking nightclub uh scene that's uh in the works um uh, you know the house of bond uh possibly changing how they present you know their wares and how they're gonna hype and entice our wares and i thought this was a really really good clever and yeah a minute long as well it wasn't lengthy i i i really liked it and i'm, I'm keen to see if they'll do that elsewhere because i'd rather see a minute that feels like a film itself than perhaps a you know a diary of what happens to a land rover and having its tires changed um, we've, <laughs> yeah, we've sort of been fed a bit um i i'm not so interested in that i i i thought it was the first time i've seen a bond behind the scenes promo that actually felt like a bond film yeah i i, I agree mm. i agree with you both i i, I did like the way it was presented uh, just as mark said because uh, it does it's quite a change because i think with with quantum of solace especially they they did all these uh, uh, videos that they stuck on youtube but then when you bought the the dvd um all the special features were were just these youtube clips so that wasn't uh, particularly exciting when it came to it but the, the this one minute clip itself. Uh, I was going to say it's it's both dark and colourful um, because you, you get that that bit when uh, Bond is outside with his spear gun is in, in his uh, hand, uh, and you get the night bit. But there's a, a lot of colour in there as well, and that 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 I, I think uh, gives me the feeling that the film will actually feel like it's in Jamaica, whereas. Uh, sometimes I think there's so much uh, there's so much travel you never get a, a sense of actually being anywhere else at all. So um, for, for me, mm. thumbs up. Yeah, um, I was just going to say I, I talked about it last week and I liked it as well. It, it spurred the Los Angeles Times, which, had, to best of my knowledge, had done one article of the movie to finally do something, and so like that uh, that video was the news peg. And then they went into you know a lot of the background and stuff, but you know it, it at least got the uh, attention of the LA Times, 
and so they finally like kicked out a story. So, so in that in that respect, it, it succeeded. And the music guys, because that was yeah, I, I was fine with the music. I, I, I as as the first couple of times I watched it, I, I can't remember why, but I had to watch it with no sound on my phone. Um, and so when I when I actually had the sound on, I, I was surprised, but uh, you know, I, I thought the music was fine, and I thought I, I need to need to find out what that is. But then uh, I saw on on uh, your website, you you'd. Uh, you'd published it or, or maybe it's social media. Um, so then I, I Googled the track and uh, found it on YouTube. But uh, am I right in saying it, it's from the 80s or 90s or something? It's not a new track? 2005. Oh, 2005. Right. No, I'm completely wrong then. <laughs> Which is 15 years ago. You know, it's like... I love the tune. I've, again, I've listened to that way too many times. Although I did love some... I say some, it wasn't everyone, but some fans' consternation. Well, that's not really Shirley Bassey, is it? And I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's nor is it going to be. And it's not. It's just a piece of music they've used, a very cleverly sourced piece of music. And I, I bet, I, I, I imagine Fukunaga and you know, uh, Mr. Dan Roma may have uh, slightly nudged or been behind that, or maybe not. But um, yeah, I, I think the music wouldn't have gone quite so well if it had been the Italian scenes. But uh, there you go. <laughs> oh, well, let's just hope, yeah, they the, the appropriate the right cultural music, unlike the Mar- as you pointed out, the mariachi music yeah. in Spain it was like, yeah, that's not how that goes, guys. Goes. Mm-hmm. So, I was surprised um, at how much uh, like conversation the music was uh, provoking. Like, I made a joke about it on Twitter, but I. Uh, I, I just took it as like, oh, it's just I, I guess some um, background music for this particular featurette. Uh, I and people seem to think that it was indicative of uh, what right. the music in the film might be like, yeah. which was a bit well, of a if stretch. It is, great, uh, you know, seriously, great. I mean, yeah. I, I'm thinking the film is going to be called Boom Shot This. We are that is what this film is going to be called. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah, we are down with the kids. <laughs> um, so um, last we recorded the last podcast on um, Sunday, and I threw out there at the end. You know what? Maybe maybe we should get somebody from left field as a composer, and not David Arnold. As much as I love David Arnold, and his work is always excellent, but maybe it's time to mix it up. And then forty eight hours later, new composer. So, mm. um, does that, has anybody been familiar with Dan Roma's work? Mm. Um, yeah. And any thoughts about where this might be heading? Uh, again, a young sound. I, I, he has worked twice with Fukunaga. I, I don't think that's the point. I just think he's a very interesting person. And again, the fan reaction has been, well, I don't know him, so he's terrible and it's wrong. And, and get back you know, a composer that hasn't done a film series for 32 years because that's going to happen. And the fact he's dead doesn't matter. <laughs> um, I have listened a lot to his stuff the last couple of days just, just because actually it's also very good. And I urge anyone to listen to Far Cry 5, which is, I never said this before, but it's mm. like a computer game score. And it is a beautiful piece of work. It, it's like something from uh, Three Billboards or True Detective. And I I find there's a cleanness and a clarity to what the guy does musically, and which is no bad thing. I'd never heard of him uh, until the announcement earlier in the week, and I, I did spend some time this, this morning listening to um, a couple of his soundtracks. And it, to me, it wasn't it wasn't anything that grabbed me. I, I thought it was a bit boring, to be honest. Um, but uh, so 
I've I've no idea what he will do with Bond. Um, and and I, I have like like you, James. I have sometimes wondered, you know, what would happen if you got somebody like Trent Reznor to do a Bond yep. score? Uh, yeah. I, I because he, he he I think he's he's probably very capable. He, he's certainly very talented. I, and it 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 might go right. It might go wrong. Uh, I don't know. We've just got to wait and see. Fingers crossed. Maybe that kind of um, shift would actually be for a new actor, right? Versus, you know, absolutely, yeah. In, 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 in some ways, I I think the fact that they haven't uh, brought David Arnold back on this one means that it's now goodbye, David Arnold. I don't think I, I think his his time's now passed. You know, it's funny. I, I right. once did a uh, post where I referred to David Arnold as the former Bond composer. And I started, I got either emails or responses to the post. How can you say that? And I said, well, it's, it's been over 10 years since he did it. It's kind of, I said, until they hire him back, he's the former one. And yeah, I mean, and uh, that's not a criticism of David Arnold by any means. It's just kind of, that's just how it is. I mean, it's like, if, if you haven't done it in 10 years, you're, you, you know, you're former. That's, that, that seems to be a reasonable hmm. But but no one no one was saying in sort of I don't know 1987 oh I can't believe it's not Marvin Hamlish I can't believe they've overlooked him again it was, <laughs> and no one wants it more than David Arnold I know that um, and there there's plenty of possible time just you know uh, who's to say he he might have been busy or just couldn't get that time and this guy can it's it's not just about personalities and, and perceived quality of people it's also about you know relationships with studios remember the studios have changed we've got different studios and different yes. musical uh, agents and string pullers there's, there's mm-hmm. a different uh, you know a different canvas for this bomb film yes we're not going to we're not going to get a title song by a sony bmg artist this time right or a columbia artist and also what mark was just describing in terms of that changing relationship that's one of the reasons John Barry didn't do uh, Tomorrow Never Dies is because, you know, there was no way they were going to let him um, write the title song. And, um, you know, something that had happened in the 10 years, you know, he, when Tomorrow Never Dies came out, John Barry had last done a Bond score 10 years earlier. And in those 10 years, you had the mm-hmm. rise of... Um, the music supervisor and, and music supervisors now get big credits in, in movie titles. And these are the guys who, among other things, coordinate using popular songs in the soundtrack, whether it's in the titles or, or elsewhere. I mean, they have a lot of power, you know, in, in the final product in terms of music. And yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a much different, um, it's just a much different situation now. And, um, yeah, you know, it just is. That's that's how it works. So moving on from music, um, a rumor that was floating around since feels like forever now, March. Grace Jones doing a cameo. In the film. Oh, oh no! Um, <laughs> which the great thing about tabloid rumors is they get it's a twofer because they can start the rumor and then later shoot it down. It's like so they're now saying that Grace Jones isn't in the film. But intre- and I wasn't even going to mention it today except for the current thing that's all over Instagram today, which is, you know, fountain of all knowledge. Uh, Britt Eklund apparently is now rumored to be doing a cameo in the film, along with a lot of other people, quote unquote, from previous films. Um, Including Sean Connery, no doubt. 
Is, is there, is there so, a scene in an old in an old age home? What what's going on here? Right. Yeah, I just <laughs> this happens every two or three Bond films. There's going to be a scene where he's in a nightclub yeah. and all the actresses are going to be there, and it's kind of cool. It's a kind of great fantasy, but it nothing says you're not as important as the last guys were to the current actor by, by frequenting his film with um, all these people. I, I quite like the, the Greystones rumor. I think it's got, there's something about it that might be based in more truth, but, but yeah. we are, you know, the journalists and the tabloid journalists. And I don't even want to use that J word. because That's not what they're doing. They're just scooping. They're like cleaning out the cesspit of Twitter and running with it. But I, I feel maybe the story might've had more truth than a different, time and fell apart for different reasons and they're just trying to spin it now i was about to say the way the way with grace jones was having built this up then it was like oh grace jones showed up and like what my cameo is only one minute how dare you and i and she stormed off the set which is like uh i just i if if there was a wall nearby when I read that, I would have banged my head against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grace Jones <laughs> being a diva on a Bond set is not a headline because she was kind of interesting to work with and manage back in eighty four, eighty five. That she was notorious for it. Um, so that that's not the story here. Um, but I no, but the, the the best lies are always founded in I know, truth. Yeah, right. The most convincing. Yeah, we're lies. in the Elliot Carver <laughs> world now. Yeah. I, I happen to know that in in the nightclub scene in Bond Twenty Five, there's going to be a hologram of Roger Moore. Like Blade Runner, I'd be like Elvis. There'll be a punch up between Craig and someone else. Calling for, actually, that does have some visual coolness about it. But, um, no, we, we will remember Roger in better ways than a hologram. All right. So to to your point, Mark, and I don't like to argue with you because you're a smart guy, but you you said having the previous actresses is kind of a ding on the current actor. Nothing says. I know what you're then, going to <laughs> then, why, then why bring back Timothy Dalton's Aston Martin? Because it's different and it's, and it's a thing and it's a car and it's not a lady. I don't know. Um, exactly. I know. We're slightly, well, these things, are we, are we really discussing continuity in the Bond saga? Because that, that's. No, it's not continuity. <laughs> um, and a lot of very well put together thoughts on Twitter in reaction to that were along the lines of make your own iconic moments. Don't go plundering other, other Bond actors eras for stuff, you know? Yeah. But I, the way I'm, I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but the, the silver, the silver anniversary car and the silver numbered movie. I quite like the, uh, the geek, the geek yes. poetry of that. And again, like we always say, context is all obviously this car might have some, uh, London moments. It's got its UK tax and all of that, but, um, yes. All right. Fair play on, um, the Aston. Um, yeah. I mean, the people's arguments were like, well, Roger never went back and used the Aston Martin in his era. He got the Lotus, and now that's iconic, right? He, he, his era had came up with new mm, stuff. Mm. I would, yeah, um, I would like to see Daniel Craig in a Lotus. Uh, yeah, let's let's do that. But I agree with you. You know, let's give him his own cool car. I don't know if we live in that era where a car can become iconic anymore. Maybe that's their thinking. You know, can. I don't know, a Vauxhall Corsa really take off in the way <laughs> in a sort of matchbox corgi toy world. I'm not a car nut, so I don't, I, I would just say Aston Martin every time. So. Well, also, James, just to, just to piggyback on your point, and then with Timothy Dalton, okay, they went back to Aston Martin, but he had his own. He didn't drive. That's right. 
Yeah, I just I'm thinking when if we look back, at, you know, we're already projecting forwards 10, 20 years from now. We look back at the Craig era. Are there any of those iconic images already that we we think are going to be the the motifs that people hang things on in the future? Like Rogers Lotus and Dalton's, you know, reversible tuxedo and other cool little things that they did. Uh, that's a good question. Whoa, yeah. I'm, I'm not so sure. It's perhaps the lack of motifs um, removing. <laughs> will it be the it, Will it be the blue swimming trunks and that'll be it? <laughs> yeah. I think at the time of Living Daylights, right, the series was 25 years old. That's quite an achievement even then. But perhaps you know it hadn't. The series hadn't fully bedded into its own real heritage, if that makes sense. But now you almost can't not have the Aston Martin. It's it's like not having a bow tie and a tuxedo for this this current era that we live in. Well, and and with Living Daylights, you know, um, the the Aston Martin wasn't in the early drafts. Um, it was it was much more simple. Bond stole a police car. That's how he could listen in on the police radio bands. Um, so then, once they had an Aston Martin, then it had to become a spot. You know, had to become a gadget car, and so that sequence then lengthened out um, and became a more complicated sequence. But it, but again, they you know they they got a new Aston. They didn't you know do the DB5. I, I have to admit, this this happened this week. The official Eon 007 Twitter account. This week, we take a look at the DB5, and I couldn't, uh, you know, uh, criticize me. But I did a quote tweet. I said, "I'm sorry. I'm now tired of seeing the DB5. I never thought I'd say that, but I just I can't take it anymore." And <laughs> what I said, but that's that's what I did. And I was surprised by the reaction. I got more. Reaction. Oh yeah, I, I I saw this. I saw it as well because they they didn't just say that. They said that who else is looking forward? To, who else is excited about the DB5 in Bond Twenty Five or something like that? Didn't and they? it's not even the re, a real DB5. It's a BMW engine. It's got a new body. That's like it's a replica. It's like it's like those things they're selling to rich people who have too much money in their pockets. You know that you can't even drive on the street. You know it's. It's a replica. It's not a real DB5. Sorry, that's a rant. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, I, I I responded to their tweet as well, and I said no, I overused, and uh, so uh, not not quite a rant like yours, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the Astons are a bit overdone. Although I, I, I although after our uh, driving day, uh, I um, I love Aston Martin. <laughs> and if they were to offer you one, David, you wouldn't say no, would you? No, I, I definitely wouldn't. It could be any of the uh, of the past or, or present models. I don't care. I'd, poli- I'd, poli- I'd polish it every week. I was about to say, the first time you took it in for a service, though, you might do a double take at the bill. Yeah, that's true. $5,000 for an oil change. <laughs> any other thoughts, guys, on um, the last couple of weeks of... Bond twenty five news. I am quite glad we that you brought up the uh, the whole Grace Jones thing actually because that was one of the things that was kind of throwing me for a loop because I remember when they an- an- announced um, the cameo um, 
in the tabloids like months ago and it was like well obviously that's nonsense that's never going to happen and then when it escalated to her walking off the set and i was getting like messages from people and like friends like asking is this true is she actually and i was like oh i i it almost convinced me that it was gonna happen um but yeah they were citing a particular uh, instagram post from her yeah. weren't they as to evidence that she's going to be in it something where she's in jamaica um and i was like maybe that could be true but yeah um it, it's definitely not right <laughs> like i well <clears throat> we have a very good solid track record at predicting stuff on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing i don't want to go anywhere near <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Although I did, I did DM Britt Eklund on Twitter asking her if, if it's if she's got anything to say about today's rumors. So we'll see updates, updates. Mm. Or as the kill cool kids say, mm. I slid into her DMs this morning. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Mary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the only other bit of breaking news is, um, if anybody cares, uh, is the uh, local government in a town called Gravina in Italy confirmed yesterday that they're going to be shooting there in August and September. And yeah, it's not necessarily going didn't, to... Didn't we already have that confirmed somewhere? Um, it was the, they were in negotiations with the town called Matera, which is literally like 10 minutes down the road. Yeah. Um, okay. So they're pro- who knows? They probably use both, I imagine, and blend it together. Um, and for I was about to say, f- one doesn't preclude the other. But correct, and they look identical if you look at photos. And I'm going to get slammed by people in Italy, but yeah, they're literally ten minutes from each other. The the, the architecture is the same. Nobody would ever know. Um, in and Alfred familiar- Hitchcock's last movie, he he cut to, he cut together footage shot in Los Angeles and San Francisco into one car chase in his right. life. So it's like, two towns 10 minutes apart, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, And if you're familiar with the the boot of Italy, it's where the arch of your foot would be. That's kind of where they're shooting, right down down at the bottom, but not on the coast. Well, they're they're shooting in lots of places, though. There's, there's, yeah, there's, yeah, um, Britain's not going to go unnoticed as well, I'm sure, or or unused, put it that way. Yes. Yes. so looking forward to that DB DB five car chase, right, David? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's <clears throat> what's funny is um, somebody who's no longer working on the production um, got it. The reason he's no longer working on the production is because he thought that the plans for that sequence were dull and had been done before. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> so. Our, our, sent, our sentiments were echoed within the, within the production. There we go. Never trust a crew member for an opinion on anything. Because I'm sorry, crew members, but um, they're a jaded, cynical lot at the best of times. Yes. As we all would be <laughs> if we'd done the same thing for 20 to 30 years, um, I imagine. Um, so that's about it, guys. Uh, there's no other... You know, I'm, I'm refreshing Twitter, and I haven't seen Britt Eklund ping me back yet, so... We'll have to wait till next week. <laughs> It'll be out. Sheena Easton's doing the title song with Simon Le Bon and using using an unused Louis Armstrong track. Um, maybe that should be our, our project hoax, you know, our Operation Hoax. We should we should try and seed some um, 
po- uh, title song rumours because they they'll be really easy to get wrong uh, and for people to think they're right. Mm. Well, speaking of music, in honour of you uh, being on this week, Calvin, because you know, like we like to play out on terrible covers. James <laughs> <laughs> on things. Um, I found um, Neil Norman and his Cosmic Orchestra. <gasps> Can you guess? what it is it, it must be Moonraker it is hooray so we're going to play out on Neil Norman and his cosmic orchestra oh, I think from the wait. 80s it's, it's, it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> alright thanks very much guys and we will see you right, soon take, thank you take care take care everyone attempting re-entry, sir. Well, I'm sure Her Majesty will be fascinated.